What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Welcome to the Latinas Rising Up in HR podcast. I'm Priscilla Guasso. And I'm your host, Angelica Patlan. In season one, we will be having intimate chats with the authors of this Amazon bestseller. My vision for this book was to create a community where Latina HR professionals are seen and recognized for the journeys that led to where they are today. With each episode, the authors will be sharing copies of their keys that open the doors to their personal and professional success. May their stories inspire you and encourage you to rise up in your own journey. This week, I had the opportunity to talk with Janine Ting Jansen. Janine has 14 years of HR experience and is currently at the director level as a people partner. Janine is a third generation American of Mexican and Chinese descent, and she was also the first college graduate in her family. Her worldview is influenced by a hardworking family who loves without restraint and is often mistaken for various races, but never the right ones. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Janine as much as I did. Thank you so much, Janine, for joining me today. Please pronounce your name and your pronouns. Janine Ting Jansen, she, her, hers. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. And really to stem from the book that you are an author in, I feel like I've gotten to know you in the book, but there's still so much to your story that I want to share with the audience. And so let's start with an icebreaker. Are you ready? Sure. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's see, what is the song that is defining your life right now? If you had to pick oh, one. What, what is the song that is defining my life? You know, I, I think of, um, I got asked this question a year ago and I had to think thoughtfully of it. So I'm not completely unprepared, but this girl is on fire. Like there's just mm. so much to do. And um, by Alicia Keys and just everything's just going and keep moving and by necessity, but also by, you know, need to keep going forward and interest. So I would call that my song for the year. (laughs) And it's a great song. And I think it really actually speaks to you and your story from the book, because in the story, you talked a lot about these defining moments throughout your life and your career. And so I'd love to hear from you what your defining moments are and why. Sure. You know, I think for me with my career, it's that I just took opportunities before me to really just lean in and learn and learning and finding my way through being a servant leader and helping others has really served me well. The opportunities I've taken, I see my career as focusing on campus recruiting at a certain time in my life and going into diversity and then going into talent and becoming an HR partner and then going back into diversity recently. Like these moments of switching, but also different industries, each time there's a new challenge that comes up 
And each challenge just really, um, when I go back to that key term I use of learning, really just has developed me and allowed me to flex differently. And I always learn something new about myself. I always learn a different industry. And the folks you meet um, as you, when you accept a change, when you accept a change and you lean into it, it can really be something wonderful. But what comes with it is this you learn how to take risks and step forward very confidently. So, you know, if I were to think of my defining moments as every time a, something new that comes up planned or not planned, that it's really just a moment to continue to say, all right, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to learn. I'm going to find ways to help. And those are going to be the moments for how, how I develop with this. I think that's super important to be able to be flexible, to be able to be adaptive and willing to lean into learning and no matter at what point in your career. And so let's take it back to the start of your career. How would you say that you began in HR and how that beginning led you to where you are now? Sure. The there was a moment where I was serving as a, a legal secretary in a law firm, and I was going to school at night and was just pushing forward on these two areas of um, working during the day and going to school at night. And in that moment, I just, you know, again, leaned in. And with that, there was additional responsibilities that got added to my plate in regards to campus recruitment for that. I was in a law firm at the time. And with those opportunities, there was really a moment to shine, to help to learn how to project manage those opportunities to help with the interns when they came in. And it led to me getting another role at a law firm that had a much bigger program. And my role switched from this administrative extra capacity to doing fully campus recruiting. And I did that for another three and a half years in a law firm. And it was wonderful. The program we recruited for was over 100 every year, summer interns. And that cycle and that process and working with others, it was a great opportunity to focus on campus recruiting in a different way in that industry. And it was a great learning. I took so many of those skills I have pulled through to even my role today as I reach out and help some of my employee groups with event planning, recruitment, sourcing, and branding an organization to these really specific populations, uh, schools, and diversity. So um, that opportunity of leaning in to let me see what else I can do and asking what else can I help with has really served me well. That's great. And I think it's important to really take a look back at our beginnings. Oftentimes we don't think about it. And I love learning about how you also navigated diversity, equity, and inclusion in your own life. And I noticed that that was a running theme in the book was really understanding your identity, but also how that identity presents to other people. And so I'd love to hear about your experience, because I know you talk about it a lot in the book about how you deal with microaggressions and things like that, especially for our, our audience who may be going through similar things in the field. Yeah, you know, for, for me growing up, very confidently and proudly saying that I identify with being Mexican, but also Chinese. Both of my parents happen to be Mexican and Chinese. So I, I kind of tell my story through my grandparents is that both of my grandmothers came from Mexico and both of my grandfathers came from China. All four of them from a different area in, in those different area, geographies, but they all immigrated to New York City and then had my parents. And my parents have multiple siblings each. 
and we grew up in this family where everyone looked like me, right? And Mm -hmm. um, they grew up with this dual identity in New York City. And what comes with that is their their learning of how they grew up, my grandparents' influence of how they grew up, because they had all those influences actively in my life growing up. So the discrimination that they suffered traditionally in those time periods showed up for me, and it influenced how I've I've seen things, right, Um, growing up. And they've, you know, for my life of stepping into different environments, using that lens that that I was raised with of looking at things, how my mother would look at them and my father and then myself, it's influenced every single moment, right? Because you're always saying, what, what's the difference? Is it a difference? I don't know. And as we've evolved as a society, it's really coined the term microaggression. It's, it's been a huge leap of advancing the understanding of that. The question of when someone asks you a question of, where are you from? And, you know, taking that for face value and saying I'm from New York. And then when they, you know, continue to go further down this line of where are you really from, it's either you either feel an authentic feel from the person and you go there and you tell them, or if it starts to feel inauthentic or they're asking for another reason, your level of uncomfortableness, really your gut reaction to an individual is, well, why are you asking? Um, Mm -hmm. It takes sometimes courage and risk to ask those things, to put it back on someone. Um, But, you know, it's just one example of how things show up and you can't help but say, could it be this? Could it be that? And, you know, as we go through these different phrases of being spoken over in a meeting, being passed over for a promotion or not getting into a specific program, the question does come up of, could it be that? And it's, it's always very, it's varied, right? It's sometimes it's not a black and white moment. Sometimes it could be if there's mm-hmm. a stereotype at hand, um, but otherwise they fall into this really gray area of, of a microaggression. And, you know, I would encourage anyone going through these to really, you know, find comfort in knowing that others are going through this, that sometimes we don't know how to react, but the power is in identifying the moment that you feel that you're being uncomfortable and saying, okay, what am I going to use to deflect? What am I going to use as a tool to let the other person know that this is uncomfortable for me? And if we can kind of get used to identifying moments and finding ways to comfortably, you know, identify it and say it to the other individual, that's our power of pushing back. And we can do that very respectfully, right? And every moment is different. And sometimes we have to say, you know what, I can't address it right now. Let me circle back to it later and see how I can address it. Maybe you need an ally, an ally Mm -hmm. to help you in that moment, especially if it's in the workplace. It could be the ally could be your manager. It could be a peer. And helping navigate that is going to help your success in pushing back on these items as they show up. I love that. And I I love that you mentioned the importance of having an ally or somebody there that can advocate for you as well in those spaces. I think that's super important. And sometimes it is hard to really navigate that process of finding someone, depending on how you were brought up. And sometimes in our cultures, it can feel almost taboo to ask for help. What ways have you found have been the best to ask for that help, whether it's with dealing with microaggressions or injustices in the workplace, or even just general help? Yeah, it, it's a great question because I think as we go forward that, you know, it's it's difficult to have, to sometimes identify allies right out of the gate, but it's important to understand that you need them, 
right? Mm -hmm. So it could be that someone's an ally in a room, but they're not an ally in another room, and that's okay. So kind of identifying where your trust lies with someone and where it stops. Because, you know, if they're not within your family, the trust eventually stops somewhere because everyone has Mm -hmm. a line, right? Um, But that you do have to, you know, find some trust with individuals and they can be within your organization, right? If your priorities are lined up with there, I would encourage you to go to them, build a relationship and really say that, you know, in your mind that this is my ally for this project, right? Um, It could be that you need to seek external allies of helping you run through things because in sometimes in positions of leadership, you have to find that outside, right? Um, And it could be within your family, your friends, your network. Um, It could be, you know, folks that are more senior to you, but that you're selective with those moments that you seek support from them. So there's, there's a nuance of this, of that not every ally is fit for everything, but depending on the moment, constantly just reassessing all of your relationships and having that moment of intuitiveness and that gut reaction to say, you know what, I can trust you in this moment. This is the moment I'm going to ask. And if that trust continues, wonderful. You've built a wonderful relationship, right? But Mm -hmm. always just being hyper aware of, you know, maybe it's not the next thing, but you know what, it could be the, the other thing because again, we're lined up and I know I can trust you and that I can ask for your voice in this room. Building your career in HR? Want to connect with Latina HR leaders? Join our Facebook community at Latinas in HR. That's really great advice. And what I hear in a lot of that is trust and also inner self-awareness. And something that came up in your story that really stuck out to me was this idea or the ambition to have it all. And you mentioned that in your story in the book, and I'd love to know a little bit more about what you meant by that and how that applies to your story. Yeah, I think there's been moments in my life where um, folks in your circle, your inner circle of like, you got that job. That's wonderful. That's your career. And you know, I've always had this, and I go back to that learning moment, right? It's, mm-hmm. There's always so much more to learn, and I don't know where it's going to land with a role, but it, it's that I'm constantly seeking to find new skill sets for myself, find new ways to evaluate, and to really emphasize that your role is ever, roles are ever changing, right? In HR, we know that in future of work, that all the jobs are, are changing, right, in some way and that you're constantly being asked to do more. So your success is trying to identify where a company's going, where the roles are going, where they're going to need you to excel and and just going there, right? And not, and being agile, not being uncomfortable with that moment. So when I think of like me leaning in, I think of it as I want to maximize my opportunity in every situation so that I can be, you know, supportive, helpful, and develop myself so that I walk away with something I learned, the company walks away with really great work product, and it becomes this really nice feeling of a win-win. So, so that, that's what I mean by that, because sometimes I think of it as when I think of my HR hat of employee engagement, it's having satisfied employees versus highly engaged employees who are just bringing things up another level. So it's something that, you know, where I set myself up and look in the mirror and say, this is where I am today, but next year I want to be 
you know, working on harder projects or different things that are going to bring higher value. Um, that's where I think of it as leaning in of, I'm not here to just take a seat. I'm here to really just bring deepen the, the influence of my seat of where that comes in. And it could be, you know, in roles, but it could also just be that the roles expand, right? And I think it's also um, a bit of a mechanism of, you know, I can lean into multiple areas of HR um, and my desire to do so versus this is the role I'm in and that's that's it for my career. I'm going to stay in this seat. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes we can get caught up in feeling like this is it for me. That's all I'm going to do. I'll just stay here and write it out for my 30 years. And I want to talk a little bit more about your HR career. And, you know, I know sometimes on social media and in LinkedIn, we tend to have a highlight reel of our ourselves and, and what is shown. I would love to know, you know, what is, what has been one of the biggest obstacles for your, you and your career and how did you overcome that? You know, I think of my recent career move, um, going into a full-time diversity role again, right? It's for my career, I've been in HR, I've been in diversity roles, um, two different diversity roles, and then shifted back into a talent space, HR partner space, and then back into diversity. The changing landscape has been something, you know, a good example of being agile, to be nimble and to say, I'm leaning in, I'm broadening who I am to bring to the table to support diversity. And I'm very passionate about diversity because of where it shows up for me personally, but also with the effect of how I can bring others up. So mm-hmm. when I think of my real, it's just continuing to develop across the board so that I can be this individual who is really helping the evolving landscape of what we mean by diversity, equity, inclusion, what it means at every company, it's something different, and how we can advance the conversation in this country. Right. There's a huge need for it. And it's the market is has changed so much. Um, and the unfortunate reality is, you know, society has forced us to do so. And we're in a reactive space versus a foundational. So when I think of my rule, I think of it as I have been deliberately always positioning myself so that I have greater skill set to help in this area. And I'm back in a position where I can lean in even more and influence and support. And I do that in my day job, but then I also do that in my volunteer life where I show up with these different organizations with Latinas rising in HR and and just leaning in there to really help contribute to the conversation because I think it's going to continue to look very, very different. Hmm, yeah, and I think that's so important to lean in and to think about your real and to be mindful of what you're contributing both in, inside and out of work. And, you know, would you say that the hardest part for you has been those multiple transitions or was there a moment in your career where you thought, I don't know what I'm doing here, or maybe this isn't the right path for me? You know, did you, have you ever had those moments and how did you work through them? Yeah, you know, I've had a couple moments where the company wasn't the right fit, right? But the role was, right? Mm -hmm. Or the manager wasn't the right fit, but maybe the company was. And I think of it as this moment where you're saying the the manager is wonderful or vice versa, the company is right or the role. And with these three factors of role, manager, company, it's it's a moment of, you know, how how much longer can you continue with the status quo? And if the status quo isn't working for you, where do you take back control and say, this is the biggest thing, this is the thing that I want, that's a priority to me, myself, 
and taking the courage to take a leap. Because if two of the three things are lined up, you could be complacent and say, I'm going to keep leaning into this, right? But at the same time, it's, you know what? No, I need, I want all three and I'm going to keep looking to see where that is. So I think that sometimes um, in different situations with, with roles, you're constantly questioning and evaluating that. And it's hard to look in the mirror and say, you know what, this isn't working for me anymore, or I'm not enjoying this anymore because this this is what was given to me. Um, so I'm going to go out and seek, you know, that, that perfect thing that I want. So I think sometimes we, um, for me personally, I'll say that, you know, I was in a talent role, for example, for three and a half years before I was given that next promotion. And mm-hmm. it took a lot for me to make myself more uncomfortable to ask for what I wanted. Um, and to really be more assertive with how I got to there, having more conversations, demonstrating um, development opportunities and desire and waiting for that role. Because that's the that's the X thing, right? When you're in a company, people may think that you're fine in your lane, right? So it's really up to you to kind of drive the conversation of I want that role before it's posted <laughs> or I'm mm-hmm. a good fit for that role before it was posted. And there was a moment in my, my seven-year tenure at S&P Global where, you know, I had to really step it up and be more assertive. And I did get that next role. I had four roles at the company. It was wonderful. Um, but I had to kind of look at myself and say, what what is the next? And is that what I want? And how do I articulate that while exploring that conversation? It can be um, challenging for an individual without the proper individuals to influence you and to help you with that thought process. Need a copy of the Amazon bestseller? Visit our website at www.latinasrisingupinhr.com and grab your copy today. So how have you been able to navigate through your career and life with imposter syndrome? Imposter imposter syndrome is this thing that has shown up where it's where you have a moment of doubt, self-doubt. And it's shown up throughout my career in moments where, you know, it could be articulating a, a perspective, an opinion, a point of view, um, say on diversity, right? Where you, we get into these debates of what's more important or what are we advocating for and others feel strongly and you could start to self-doubt. And I think it's in moments like that where you have to take comfort in saying, no, this is, I know that this is the right way and you have to shore up yourself. And I think to compensate for that, where it shows up, you have to constantly look yourself in the mirror, practice, be prepared, be prepared with all the data, all the information of why, you know, these are the different ways you're influencing and bring that forward. I think sometimes there's a a lack of confidence or the questioning behavior you get from peers where you sometimes see peers who automatically get that validation support from senior leaders. And sometimes if managers come back to you and question and question and question, um, if if that's a style that you're not used to, that could lead to an imposter syndrome because it's, you know, why are you questioning my decision making? And to compensate for that, I think there's the preparedness factor, the practicing your confidence, looking in the mirror. Um, it could be something as simple as public speaking, right? Just do it more. And find mm-hmm. opportunities to do it more and to speak your worth and speak your truth um, to push forward and lean in. So when I think of imposter syndrome, it's the gremlin on your shoulder that's constantly eroding at making you second guess yourself. And to really squash it, you have to just keep coming back at that point. And it's hard. It's hard to do. And 
especially when you're in different rooms and you realize that your voice is the minority view, that your your difference could be influencing a perspective and you're questioning, questioning, is it because you're the woman in the room? Is it because you're the person of color? Um, and it kind of just starts to creep in um, because maybe you're not invited to lunch after the meeting. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not invited for coffee. You see other folks having these, you know, offsite conversations that contribute to decision making. And suddenly you're saying, well, why am I not included? Right. Um, so it's important to, again, identify and try to break these habits that others have very deliberately. And it's hard to do because we have to get up and do it again and again and again when we're shut out. So that's what I would say about imposter syndrome. It's it's there, but it can go away. And if it continues to show up for you, you can overcome it by just saying, you know what, it's not coming in today. It's not here. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I think one thing that you just mentioned was the feeling of being shut out. And I find that people don't know how to break into a lot of situations like that. How do you start having conversations about being included or belonging when it feels like you ha- you haven't been throughout work? So what would you say to members of our community who are thinking, well, yeah, but how do I get insert myself into those situations now? Yes, it's a great question. You know, if you're in a situation where you're on the out group and you see the in group, you just have to find a way in and you have to be creative and you have to keep at it. You have to work it like a job, like a job interview of how do I get into this circle? And it could be that you have to work harder is one of the things that we do, right? It could be that you have to continue to find um, opportunities to contribute where you can. Um, it may be that you have to take the tasks that no one else wants to do and just rock it, be that rock star and embrace that you are a rock star <laughs> and <laughs> and really demonstrate that, right? And show up. You can't be showing up with 25%. You have to be showing up with 110%. And I can't emphasize that more because sometimes I think individuals are frustrated, right? They're frustrated, they're, they're tired, and it's exhausting to keep showing up. But you have to because eventually that's going to creep into Whoever's making the decisions at the table, it's like, hey, you know what? Janine contributed this last time. She did this the other time. You know what? I think she can do this project. And it's going to be that moment where you just bring it again and you're going to shine. You're going to shine and then slowly it'll creep into the individuals on on the side of you, right? And they'll come in and say, you know what? I do want your opinion, right? Um, You have to work harder to navigate those relationships and build them. If they don't come naturally, it doesn't mean you let it go. It means that you have to work harder to find that common ground with others. When you find that common ground, you can lean into it. And it could be that they're not aware of your background. And maybe you do open up a little bit and share um, what makes you unique and how that can help them. Because if folks don't know, they're not going to be able to help or you know, you never know what their trigger moment is either. So you're constantly looking for how can I help you with with the strength of mine, with an opportunity of yours. And if you can always think that way, what is the strength I can bring to them that's that's natural for me? What's the favor I can do for them? Um, I'm not saying you do this all the time, but it, it, you have to read a situation and say, where's the thing that I'm going to lean in with and help and then build those relationships. I think that's excellent advice. And you mentioned working harder. And one thing that came to mind or one question that came to mind was, but how do you balance it all? And that's something that I heard in your story was 
that feeling of balancing everything and you as a working mom and many in our community could also be working moms, single moms. How would you suggest that people work hard yet still maintain a sense of health in whatever word and in whatever sense that word means to them? Yeah, you know, I tell folks that ask these questions to me, it's, you know, no day looks the same, but you can find commonality in, in what your priorities are. So when I think of my young children, I think of, you know what, I need them to be to well, I need them to be well, healthy, um, in school and happy, right? And I'm not going to be there for every moment, right? But I can plan that everything is accommodated for, right? That someone's bringing them somewhere, someone's helping them with their homework, and that sometimes that's me. Sometimes that's me taking on that. Um, and other days it isn't. And I have to be okay with that because otherwise you can't lean in everywhere, right? So it's choosing moments um, of leaning in. And the work harder comment is is how do you get to a point where you can work smarter, right? <laughs> it's just, it's choosing the projects that you're going to lean into, choosing a moment where it's, you know what, this is the snapshot I'm going to run with this because I'm confident in what I did do in the minimum time I had. Um, you know, it's something is going to need more attention. So I'm going to have to lean in on this over the weekend. Right. And then that, that is okay because you can creep that back later with, you know what, I need to take something in the car. I'm going to be on the phone. I need to drive my kid to soccer. And, you know, when I say that, I know that's a privilege to be able to have that flexibility to do that. Um, but it's not one I've always enjoyed <laughs> mm -hmm. and, you know, I don't always get to do that. So it's having a backup plan and a backup plan all the time so that, you know, where I have to lean in, I lean in and where, you know, I have an opportunity to do something different based on the priorities of the day I do. Um, and it, it's hard, everything changes. Um, but if you can kind of evaluate and say, these are the top things that can't drop and, and focus on those, identify the things that can wait that can wait or take that snapshot of your time and move on and being okay with that. That's a hard thing to do. It definitely is. And, you know, you mentioned in the book, you've even touched on it now, like choosing the moments and knowing that there will be some moments that you do miss. And so I love that you touched on that today with us. And I would love to know if there's a resource, a piece of advice, a word that you would love to leave with our guests to help them as they start their career or are just even navigating their HR career. Yeah, I think of the word, I think of the word empathy, right? Mm -hmm. It's having empathy for yourself that you're not going to get it right all the time. Empathy for others who are figuring it out or have figured it out, but that they're still challenged. Um and with my, my children, it's just asking them, right? Like, how are we doing? Are we doing well? Are you happy? And if they're happy, I'm happy. And if they're not, I have to choose that moment to listen, to listen and hear why they're not. And think through of, you know what? Sometimes I say to them, well, I can't fix this now, but I'm going to fix it. And being honest with them. I think that's hard because we want to fix everything. We want them to have no pain. We want them to be happy at all times. But it's also realistic to say to them, well, you're not happy right now, mommy's not either, but later we'll figure this out because that's real. That's real life. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that advice. And I would love to have people connect with you. Where are the best places for people to connect with you and what topics in HR do you specialize in? 
Yes, I am happy to connect with folks who are just seeking to have a conversation um, or trying to build their HR career or need um, mom tips and parenting tips. Um, I'm active on LinkedIn. They can reach out through there. They can reach out. Um, all my information is in the book and I'm happy to connect and I'm available. You know, it's to me, I am really open to share challenges through my career, what it's like to have young children, um, to be navigating COVID now and just thinking bringing the big picture of, you know, what's the, the thing that we should be thinking about and how do we focus and navigate together. And I just love the Latinos rising up in HR community because it's, it's such a great opportunity for us all to support each other and to advance together because there's, you know, we want to nail all these gaps that we're hitting too and really just be those rock stars every day. <laughs> Yes, of course. And I want to thank you so much for being here with us and for spending your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. We'll see you next episode. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Latinas Rising Up in HR podcast. If you loved what you heard or learned something new, please let us know by sharing, leaving a review and subscribing. We'll see you on the next episode.